and welcome to this episode of Bipolar Black Girl. My name is Mayor Fortin. I'm your host. Today we have on Catherine. Catherine experienced extreme trauma for most of her life. Uh, she's newly divorced. Uh, she has been house or had been housebound for 15 years. Um, she has two kids with one on the way, and she has been diagnosed with bipolar one. Uh, borderline personality disorder, CPTSD, which is complex post-traumatic stress disorder, correct? And um, anxiety and depression. So on that happy note, hi, Catherine. How are you? Hello. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Um, So why don't we start with a little bit of history? Uh, When were you diagnosed and, you know, what your life has been like since? Okay. So I've been, I guess, dealing with managing, well, managing for a little bit, but dealing with symptoms of borderline personality disorder since I was 11. Um, with the just, I think it just really began with the unstable relationship I had with my parents. Um, and I started to self harm at 11 years old. No. So that no. was like a big, a big telltale sign that that's part of it. Um, just the uncertainty with identity, shifting moods, um, categorized by unstable relationships, interpersonal relationships, um, whether that's like a romantic or with friends, um, just lots of bouts of depression. Um, you know, dealing with substance abuse growing up with alcohol and other stuff like that. Um, and just a lot of really risky behavior in my teenage years. But I feel like a lot of teens do a lot of, you know, risky stuff, but it was just, you know, I would get to the point where like, um, I didn't care if I died, you know, doing a lot of the things I did. Um, so, but in my, I was 22 when I was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. Um, and I was seeing a therapist at the time and he diagnosed me and um, I can't remember all nine traits of borderline right now, but I had all nine and it normally takes five out of the nine to be diagnosed. So wow. that was wow. a big deal for me. Um, I was in denial about it for a long time, maybe like two years. And then I really started to get into therapy to deal with that and to help manage that. Um, and then in 2021, I decided to finally start taking Zoloft. And I was fine for the first six to eight weeks. And then I had a suicide attempt voluntarily uh committed myself to a behavioral institute or behavioral clinic and they diagnosed me there with bipolar disorder because of the bad reaction i had to the zoloft which i've heard happens to a lot of people taking zoloft that happened to you know, me that's how they, yeah that's how they find out essentially um and so that was actually april of 2021 i spent my um two year wedding anniversary in, uh, the behavioral clinic away from my son and my ex-husband. So that was really hard. It was there 10 days. Um, 
I came home and they gave me some new medication to try. It was Seroquel and I had a very bad physical allergic reaction to it. I had hives all over my body and I had to go to the hospital. I had to wean off of that medicine essentially. And then they started me on a couple other things. I can't remember at the top of my head right now what they were because I've been on several different uh, medications for bipolar disorder. Um, But the whole time I was on it, I just didn't feel right. I never really had mania, you know? I mean, I definitely would consider a lot of things I did as like, you know, the risky behavior, the impulsiveness, but that's also part of borderline. Right. So that's the problem. There's so many symptoms that are like overlapping that you're, you're kind of like, Oh, what is this? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So they didn't really know, but they did diagnose me with both borderline and bipolar comorbidity at the same time. So, um, I was on that for a couple years. I didn't ever feel right. I was like, actually felt like I was getting worse. And as of July of this year, I stopped taking my mood stabilizer with the um, consent of my psychiatrist. He said that was fine. Um, And honestly, I was really worried because the first six weeks or after that, I could either have a manic episode or go into psychosis. And honestly, I have never felt better. Really? I'm taking, um, yeah, I'm on, um, an antidepressant. I'm, um, I'm actually taking a Fexor, which has been really helping me a lot. So yeah, I haven't had any symptoms of depression or mania and I've honestly never felt better. I feel like That's myself awesome. again. Yeah. So it's, it's been a good couple months and my psychiatrist is happy with the results. I'm happy with the results. So it's been interesting to kind of feel like myself again. I really think it was just trying to find the right combination of medicine. Um, And then I was also diagnosed with a thyroid problem in 2022 in October. Mm -hmm. So it's been a little over a year. My thyroid's managed now. So they think that might have been part of it. but yeah, I'm just taking the the thyroid hormone every day and some Effexor and I feel great. I feel, I want to say normal because no one's normal, but I feel very balanced and stable. Um, I am actually doing EMDR, the rapid eye movement therapy. Mm-hmm. So that's been helping a lot too to deal with the the complex trauma. And can you explain what that is a little bit for people who don't know? So I'm very new to it. Um, I was doing the uh, talk therapy for years. And then um, with my rapid eye movement therapy, we just, excuse me, we talk about a really traumatic event that's happened and they guide you through it and talk you through it. And she watches my eye movement and, you know, directs my eye movement to certain things. And we just talk through the traumatic event very intensely. Mm-hmm. And it is really 
hard the first couple hours afterwards or the next day afterwards, you know, because it's so to re-traumatize yourself. Right. You know, from trying to, you know, these events you've suppressed. But it's it's really helping me, you know, deal with the flashbacks and night terrors. Right. And I haven't had those in months now. Awesome. But when I was, yeah, um, last night terror I had was while I was still on the mood stabilizers. Mm -hmm. And those would get really intense when I was taking the mood stabilizers. I'd have, like I said, night terror, sleep paralysis, stuff mm. like that. So yeah. all the, the trauma would manifest in my sleep and in my dreams. So, right. Yeah. And, yeah, and so how, with your meds um, and your pregnancy, how does that influence, like, um, do you, you don't have to go off of effects or I assume, you know, they, because I'm on a, like a medium dose, my doctor, my psychiatrist and my OBGYN are, um, watching me very closely with that because, um, it is a possibility that the fetus, when the baby is born, they could go through a couple days of withdrawal symptoms from the effectsor. So they're just monitoring very closely. Me and my doctor have talked about, you know, risks and benefits of the medicine. If it's helping me, you know, um, not have these symptoms anymore, then that's a good thing. But we do want to maybe try an SSRN in the last couple months of my pregnancy. Mm. I'm almost at four months now, a week away. So that they that could be an option. I have an appointment coming up uh, in two weeks for that. So we're gonna, you know, get my my OBGYN and my psychiatrist are in the same office essentially. Right. So um, they they do talk. They share notes. So we're, everyone's just kind of been on the same page with that, just to monitor and make sure that everything is going okay. But they're they're not concerned because of the dose I'm on. It's not very high, um, but it is essentially up to me whether I want to stay on it or try something else. Mm. So I just have to, you know, just weighing options at that point. But there right. is a side a, a a risk, yes, to this for sure. And then how about your older children? Um, like how old are they? And uh, do you see any signs of, you know, mental health conditions, like, you know, manifesting themselves? You know, with my 14-year-old son, I have a 14-year-old son and a five-year-old son. So quite a big age difference. Um, with my 14-year-old son, yes, I do see signs of depression in him. Um, you know, he's now a freshman in high school. He's dealing with a little bit of bullying at school, you know, and so that's been something we've been working on. Um, I do, I do definitely worry about him in that way. So I'm just an open book and I'm like, you can talk to me about anything you want. You know, we have options available for you if you want to talk to somebody else who's not your mom or dad. Right. Um, and just just whatever he thinks he needs. And I am definitely open to him about my mental health struggles now that he's gotten a little bit older. And, um, I, um, had him when I was 18 years old. So 
you know, we've grown up together in a lot of ways. Yeah. So we're, we have a very close open relationship in that manner. Um, I definitely try to protect him from a lot of stuff, you know, that's age, you know, I talk to him things about that are age appropriate, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So that's, that's a big deal how to gauge that. Um, but I feel like the earlier you start talking about mental health and how to manage it, it, it helps you out in the long run. I wish my, um, mother and father would have done that for me growing up because it was always, um, Oh, you don't have a problem. You're fine. Even though my mom was diagnosed bipolar disorder when I was young. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah. So she, she definitely was of the, the party of like, Oh, there's nothing wrong with you. You're fine. But I think it's because it didn't, she didn't want that to negatively reflect on her and her parenting. Right. If you just ignore the problems of, Oh, my kid's fine. My kid's perfect. Everything's great. Then, you know, you're doing your job as a parent, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to look bad or feel guilty in that way. But I really wish they would have talked to me about that more because I didn't feel like I could, I had to hide a lot of my, um, issues. So with yeah. know, and, in regards and- with depression, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Oh, in um, regards with depression and self-harm and stuff, I had to hide that. So Right. Um, I think that's fairly normal that uh, kids mm-hmm. do hide that. Um, yes. Was your mom medicated? She was, actually. She was. Okay. She was, she was. Um, as of about maybe five years ago, she stopped taking mm-hmm. her uh, mood stabilizers and you know, my mom's had a really, really long battle with alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom's one of those who struggles with waking up at nine o'clock in the morning and goes and gets the liquor out of the cabinet, Ooh. you know, and like, it's an all day thing until she passes out. My dad was the same way. And my dad actually passed away in 2019. I'm sorry. From from alcoholism. Yeah. And I went to go, my parents got divorced when I was 15. Mm -hmm. So, um, me, my brother and my mom went to go clean out my dad's apartment when he passed away. And that was so hard to see like giant empty liquor bottles everywhere. And just, you know, just, he wasn't living in a good way and it made me so so sad for him and I just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed while we were cleaning the apartment and my mom my brother like what's wrong with you everything's fine I'm like it's not okay like this is this is bad like that nobody should live this way like this is it's so sad and it it was heartbreaking to have to go and clean his place out after that so and do you think he had any underlying uh, mental health conditions that that were undiagnosed? You know, I really do. I watching my dad grow up, like I, me and him are very similar in a lot of ways. We were very emotional. Um, we were very empathetic people and caring, and just very funny, great to be around. Babies and animals loved us. We loved music. That's how we would bond. My dad and yeah. I would. He'd take me to school every morning. We listened to, you know, rock and roll music on the radio. And 
I remember going to uh, Metallica concerts with him when I was really little. That was his wow. favorite band. So yeah, I was like a little, little kid going with my dad. Um, and so that's, that was the way we bonded was over music. And when my dad wasn't drinking, he was the nicest, sweetest guy ever. Yeah. So sweet. We had a great relationship, but you know, when the drinking comes out, it's just, just a lot of yelling, physical abuse. Him and my mom would fight right. all the time. And my mom would be drunk. I, I just, I grew up with two alcoholics. Right, so right. So that That's, was very tumultuous. I bet. Like that, I think that would be very difficult, as especially as a child, you know, going through that and, and not really understanding it. And I mean, by the time yeah. they divorced, I would, I would think you, you know, were getting it. But um, it sounds very traumatic. Yeah. yeah, I would get, you know, to the point where I would step into the fights and be like, hey, you guys stop. Like, you can't right. do this. Um, my brother was two years younger than I am. So I felt like I had to protect him from the physical and verbal abuse that was going on from my dad. And my mom would also do the same thing. My mom, she wasn't ever physically abusive with my brother, but she would with me. So that was always really, you know, just. And that didn't stop. Up until recently, after I stopped talking to her this year, um, she gets very violent. And I just, I mean, I'm not going to, you know, hurt my mom back. Like, I just, I can't. I'm not a physically aggressive person. So that, you know, I just, just have to stay away from it. So my relationship with my parents is very complicated. I love them both so much. You know, that's I guess that's part about being in a toxic relationship with somebody is it's not always bad all the time. It can be good. And that's why it's so hard to separate yourself from that. Right. And that definitely carried over into my romantic relationships as well, especially this last one. So, yeah, um, interpersonal relationships are um, things that we struggle struggle with as uh, people with bipolar disorder, as well as I think BPD. Um, and you mentioned something interesting, uh, before this kind of mm -hmm. is a segue, not really, but you I love it. mentioned something before about, um, identity issues and I've always had that. And so I'm wondering how does it, what does it look like for you? Well, a lot of it, um, you know, I am always constantly changing my appearance, you know, all the time, um, whether that's hair color, makeup, like what I want to dress like today. But also, I feel like the outsides reflect how I feel on the inside, because a lot of the time I really struggle with not knowing who I am, what I want to be. Um, I never had a strong sense of self of of what like I said, like what I wanted to be in life. Um, I think, you know, that stems from growing up of not having stability. Um, because if you don't have outward stability, you can't really have it inward. So right. I just, yeah, like I said, I never knew who I wanted to be. And it took me until the past couple of years to realize, like, I do know what I want to be. I know 
what kind of person I want to be, you know, and that's, and I had to really struggle to realize like that person has been there the whole time. Like I am a nice and caring and sweet person and I want to help people. Um, you know, I, I do know what I like. I really do. I just didn't think that I did, but all of that has been there the whole time. Right. I just didn't see it. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I, um, change jobs a lot. I, uh, move a lot. Um, but I move, I've moved a lot since I was a kid. Like, I don't know if we've ever spent five years in the same house. Um, so it meant that I went to a, a lot of different schools and it was, I just feel like I would change my personality and the way I dressed and stuff based on the click that I was hanging out with that week. And then I'd go mm-hmm. back to like my regular click and I'd be me. Do you know what I mean? I always felt like, like a I- chameleon almost. What's that? Like a chameleon, chameleon in a way. Absolutely. And that's what I had to become in order to, or I felt like in order to fit in at the various schools, you know, yeah. and I was always kind of a funny, like stupid, not stupid intelligently, but like funny, stupid kid. And, yeah. you know, so I made friends easily, but like, I lose them just as easily. I get that. So, but it does, it does like, I personally feel like I'm kind of trapped between two worlds and it's too much to get into right now, but it's just like, like I feel bipolar. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I feel like there are two completely separate sides of me and it's not just like, uh, it has not much to do with my mood in this case, but just like where I fit in. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I, yes, I just started a new job recently and I am going Mm -hmm. back to that feeling of having a hard time fitting in, you know, and like, I I do notice that I do that where like, I don't, yeah, like trying to find your place, get in where you fit in essentially. And that's, it is, it's hard. It makes you feel, I guess it's just due to vulnerability, you know, just being new or not knowing how to fit in. But I definitely do feel that occasionally where, yeah, I don't fit in. I am friendly. People like me. I can talk to anybody. Yeah. For me, a lot of it, I, I always say that I, you know, I'm black, but I was raised white, you know? And, um, so I had a, a huge circle of white friends but I would always feel like the outsider because I'm black. You know what I mean? Like we were tight and I could be the center of attention, but I still mm-hmm. felt like I was at the periphery because, you know, because I was black or I was black. I still am black. <laughs> yeah. But, and, and you know, yeah. but you can see the differences. You have the stigma attached exactly. to you. Exactly. In the same way that, you know, I now have the stigma of mental health conditions, um, which is why I try so hard or I want these stories to be heard because um, I feel like the more we talk about it, the the um, the more people know about it, um, is it'll be easier to understand, you know, we're not scary and, and we're just human beings. Exactly. And, and it's, yeah, definitely not scary. We're just 
you know, like brokenhearted, traumatized, soft people, you know, like we, we have soft insides and, you know, we're sensitive and emotional and not manipulative. And, you know, it's, it's really, it's the scary people are the ones who weaponize that and use that against you, you know, make you feel like there is something wrong with you for having these things that, and you're a human, you have a brain, it's going to happen to you. Yeah. My ADHD made us go off track a little bit. So we are back and we're going to pick up with Catherine and talk about um, her past romantic relationships, including uh, and mostly the one uh, who's the father of your of your child. Mm-hmm. So I. Me and my ex-husband. We've been together since 2015. Uh, We got married in 2019. We had our child together in November of 2018. So we got married shortly after having our child. But our relationship wasn't there. It kind of ended during my pregnancy. Like we weren't. We just lived as platonic roommates. Who were we were just friends that had a kid together essentially, right. um. So that was, you know, I did the whole thing where I'm like, well, I'm gonna get married for my kids, and you know, try to do it that route. And you know, the pandemic happened. That was not good. And then in 2021, like I was talking about earlier, I was you know diagnosed with bipolar and everything. So that was a big shift in our relationship as well. Um, and then I started working at this new bar, um, in the town I worked in and me and my husband for a year before that, we're talking about, well, we should get a divorce and, you know, just hard to separate ourselves financially. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, with our child and everything, just, we had a lot of connections together. So, you know, just as friends living as roommates, essentially raising our kid together. And I was working at the bar. Um, and this guy and his band come in. You know, they're actually a Metallica cover <laughs> band. Um, Metallica never leaves my life. It'll be there forever. Since I was you love born. Warren. I've just been indoctrinated. <laughs> I know. He's the best, isn't he? He's so silly. Actually, I, I like Kirk. He's yeah. my favorite. He's my favorite. He's he's so whimsical and fun. But he's got good um, hair, too. Or he used to. So he does. He yeah. used, right, they they all kind of used to. Right? No, they're adorable. They're my favorite boy band. So, <laughs> so they come in and play, and I'm. Mm-hmm. I love. They are such a boy band. They're the original boy band. <laughs> um. So they come in and play. They have a good set. I made a lot of money that night off my customers, and uh, I'm cleaning a table in front of the stage and the lead singer comes up to me and says, stuck his, stuck his hand and said, hi, I'm Randy. What's your name? Nice to meet you. And I was just like, what is this guy talking to me? Like I'm busy. I'm clean. Like I'm in right. work mode, you know, ready to get out. And then, you know, I just see him. I look at his smile and you know, I, I put the rag down. I'm like, I'm Catherine. Nice to meet you. And then I was like, you guys did great. That was a great set. And I was like, Hey, I actually get off and like, 30 minutes an hour. Can I buy you a beer? 
he's, you know, for the show. And he's like, yeah, that sounds great. And they put all their gear away. I clean up. I clock out. Perfect timing. I go buy him a beer. And uh, we sit down and we just talk until closing. Um, and we exchange information like social media and stuff like that. You know, like, oh, follow your band. Oh, you have a personal page. Oh, cool. Blah, blah, blah. We just hit it off. And I did tell him that night. I was like, I am going through a divorce. I have two children. Um, I got a lot going on right now, you know, and I just kind of told him about my life a little bit. Uh, we're getting to know each other and we talk on, you know, Instagram DMS for a while. They come back and play at the bar. I worked at again, um, at the end of, I think it was end of March, beginning of April. They come back and play and you know, same thing, you know, he gets off out of the show. I get off of work and we hang out and drink a little bit. And then that night, um, he takes me home, not to his house, back to my house. Like he drove me back, um, to my apartment, hang out in the parking lot for a while and just in the car. And then, uh, we started seeing each other after that. Um, like I would go to his house. Like, um, you know, sometimes on my day is off. We lived about 40 minutes away from each other in the Houston area, mm -hmm. which is big. Yeah. So we started seeing each other and I told my ex-husband, like I, or my soon to be ex-husband, like I said, we weren't to, you know, we're just living together. So it's like, Hey, like I am seeing someone. He did not like that. Um, and I ended up moving out of my home with my ex-husband and quickly moving into my new boyfriend's house, Randy. And that was in June. I moved in June of 2022 and I just moved out Halloween of this year. I just moved into my wow. own place. Yeah. So like within the first few months of living there, my my divorce with my ex-husband's official. Um, everything was good the first couple months. He, you know, was like nice to me. He, you know, let me, I'm using your, let me do what I wanted. Let me be my own person, have autonomy. And then slowly, but surely all of that was taken away with, you can't do this. You can't talk to this person. You can't smoke cigarettes anymore. You can't, you know, oh, you can't drink anymore. You can't uh, talk to your family anymore. You can't talk to your friends. I also don't want your kids coming over to my house. That's like a setup for a You can't talk to your ex It was extremely abusive. And then it started to get physically abusive. Oh, okay. Like, extremely physically abusive. Um, We went... It was right after I was diagnosed with my thyroid problem in October of 2022. We were in Mexico visiting his family. And we get into an argument after him and I drank like a bunch of wine at a, a party his aunt was having there. And we, you know, get back to our hotel room. We have an argument. And I, he just physically attacked me. And I, honestly thought I was going to die that night. I was 
so scared. I don't remember it ending. I remember going through that physical attack and like I said, thinking I was going to die. And then the next minute I just remember laying next to him in the dark and he's snoring and I'm still in my clothes, like from the party we went to, like some cute party dress and just like, just physically and emotionally wrecked. And I just laid there all night until we, he gets up at six o'clock in the morning and we drive back from Mexico to Houston, which is about eight hours from where Mm. we were. And I had bruises on my face and it was just this, I was shell shocked. Like I just couldn't believe what had happened. And it, it, and that same night we already had plans to go to uh fly. Like we got back to Houston at like three o'clock in the afternoon, slept for two hours, went to uh hobby airport in Houston and then flew to St. Louis. Oh my God. Got there late at night. And then we drove to Kansas city all night. Like I was awake for so long. I was so exhausted. And I just, I remember getting to the hotel room in Kansas city and like, I, I was just completely disassociated that whole time of just being in such shock that that person who says they love me and care about me could brutalize me in that way. It, it's, it was an awful experience. And you know, like we've talked, you know, like, I'm so sorry. I love you. I'll never do that again. Of course, that's not the case. Like that happened several times after that again. And, you know, it it was just an everyday thing. A lot of the time of just him being so unhappy and miserable and taking it out on me. Um, you know, I would smoke a cigarette or something like with friends and he would be like, that's it. We're over. We're done. I'm taking you to a homeless shelter. I'm like, excuse me. Like, yeah, it was so bad. And then in June of 2023, he played a show with his Metallica cover band and I went, had a good time, of course, because, like, I'm friends with, like, the other bandmates' girlfriends and, like, fans of theirs and just, you know, I just love, I love live music. That's my life. And so I'm just having the best time ever. And then he loses a koozie of his that he said I had. And I was like, no, I don't have your koozie, babe. One of his roadies found it. I was like, oh, here's his koozie. Go give it to him. So I went over and gave it to him. I was like, here's your stupid koozie. And I walked off and I went to go sit in the truck to wait to Mm. leave. And it turns into a big physical fight. So much so where like, I think my arm is broken. Oh my God. And so the next day I go to the emergency room, take my, you know, take myself there And I'm just contemplating the whole time, like, what do I do? Like, they're asking me, how did you do this? I'm like, oh, I fell down the stairs. (laughs) Right. Like, I'm so ashamed of myself. I'm so ashamed of myself and embarrassed that I did not advocate for myself and stick up for myself. And, you know, let 
people or let this person know that, that that's not okay. You can't get away with this. And repeatedly, I would let this person get away with treating me right. like that. Right. So you were basically planning your parents' relationship. Exactly. Always having to hide that growing up of my parents hurting me in that way. Like, oh, I'm fine. Like, you can't say anything because we're going to get in trouble. You can't get your mom and dad in trouble. I can't get him in trouble. I can't have him lose his very important job. And, you know, I, I was so upset with myself that I didn't say anything because it could have been a lot different. Um, but you know, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I love you. I won't do that again. And you know, and then in August, two months later, I become pregnant. Right. And then that was August 21st. It was actually the night of his cousin had a baby shower that weekend. And that was the 19th. And then the 20th, a Sunday, was a Metallica concert. <laughs> so we went to a Metallica concert together. And then I got pregnant that night of the Metallica show. And uh, we find out September 8th that I'm pregnant. We were at a hotel room in New Orleans together. And I'm like, I'm not feeling right. I'm not feeling good. I'm going to go, you know, my, my cycle's like five days late. I'm going to go get a test. Turns out, you know, baby. So I was really excited. I love children. I love being a mother. Like, I've just, I love it. I love it. I'm always welcoming any baby ever I've ever had. And, you know, he didn't say anything. He was excited and show emotion. The next day, we're on the way to the airport in New Orleans in the car, rental car. And he's like, hey, we have to break up. Wow. And that was just completely devastating. And that was the 8th. Or that was the 9th, sorry. I found out I was pregnant the 8th. We flew, were flying back on the 9th. And then September the 11th, that Monday, I started my brand new job. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I found out I was pregnant broken up with and started a brand new job all within like three days of each other. Oh. So it was a really rough weekend. I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so yeah, it's just, a yeah. Oh, you know, you go. Oh no. I was just going to say, you know, what's your bounce back been like? I mean, that's a lot to experience in a few days. And I know that you've had, you know, trauma throughout your life. Do you feel like, it's it's getting easier sort of to bounce back from the you know distressing situation to being quote unquote normal or who you who you are actually yeah i definitely always bounce back pretty quick um like i can like that like i'm i'm good which is another part of borderline apparently like it's um you know, like things can be so awful and traumatic. And then like five minutes later, right. okay. Cause it's just another day, honestly. And it's never been like, I think that's kind of a, a positive thing in a lot of ways because I am, I call it being resilient. Yeah. <laughs> like I really do feel like a resilient woman and I had so many bad things happen. And it's just, you have to keep on going. Yeah. Like I have no other choice. <laughs> 
And I feel I feel the same way. Like I I have no other choice but to you know continue you know moving on with my life, and that's what eventually you know made me get up and start the podcast. Um, is there anything that you do? Is there do you have a hobby? Is there you know that you do that you kind of it like helps you sort of relax or make you feel good? Yeah, I love singing. I love singing. I um high soprano. I was in choir forever. I'm actually trying to find an adult choir to join that's not religious affiliated, you know, because I'm not a religious person. So I'm trying to find an adult choir around here to join. I think that'd be fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I love singing. I yeah. sing all day. I love to paint. I like to write poetry. Um, and like I said, anything has to do with music. Growing up, I was in band. I don't play musical instruments anymore. Just because I mean they're so expensive. I don't have the room. Yeah. And um, but I did play drums and piano growing up. Sing art. Um. So, but I've been trying to get back into these hobbies because when I was living with my now ex, I wasn't allowed or afforded that opportunity to express my um, hobbies and interests. You know, I was always told that's stupid. That's dumb. Right. And you I know. think that as so, bipolar people, we need that creativity, that creative outlet. Yeah. It's very integral to every facet of my life to have music all the time, everywhere. It's one of the only things that really does make me feel better. Um, my other favorite hobby is cooking. I'm a great cook. I love cooking. I can cook like three times a day, you know, if I could. Um, it's it's so relaxing and calming. Just It takes all my mm -hmm. focus. And then there's something at the end of it that I am proud of. Other people can enjoy. You know, and I just, my love language is just like being nurturing in that way. And like, so I love to give and cooking is one of the ways that I can show my love yeah. for people, yeah. you know, and it's just, it's such an art form. I love it. All right, Catherine, <laughs> it fun. was so nice talking to you and I'm so happy that you decided to share your story with us and um, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. This has been so much fun. I've I've enjoyed it very Thank much. Thank you. Me too. Very much me too. so. All right, so we'll chat soon. Bye.